Hello. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Stat Chasing Week 15. My name is Sam Hopp, and I'm your host for the show. We've got this open to the public today. Hopefully, you have some people joining in live. If you haven't watched the show before, this is where I go through some of the key stats that I think are important to help lay a foundation for understanding what happened this past week, what's happened the past couple of weeks, and hopefully give you some insights as to what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. we got the fantasy football playoffs coming up for the next couple of weeks here. want to make sure as many of you bring home a championship as possible. But before I get into the details, want to talk through quickly <clears throat> Excuse me, the stats that I'm going to be using today so that everyone knows where I'm getting them from. PFF is where I get all of my routes data. So that's any routes specific metric that's targets per route run, anything with, with routes in it really. I also use their expected fantasy points, which is a model built that weights opportunity by the line of scrimmage. And I primarily use this as a measure of usage for players to understand which players are getting the highest value opportunities on their team. From the NFL play-by-play data or NFL faster is where I get the majority of my stats. That's where I get air yards, which is the distance that a ball travels in the air before it gets to the receiver. Have weighted opportunity rating or whopper. That's a stat that Josh Hermsmeyer created that weights air yards, share, and target share. Also have racer, which is receiver air conversion ratio. That's receiving yards divided by air yards and is essentially a receiver's ability to convert air yards into actual yards. On the flip side, have pacer, which is passing air conversion ratio, passing air yard, excuse me, passing yards divided by passing air yards and shows how well a quarterback or their receivers are converting air yards into actual yards. And then quarterback adjusted yards per attempt, which is yards per attempt, but it weights it with a negative given to interceptions and a bonus for touchdowns. Also have pass rate over expectation and completion percentage over expectation. Uh, CPOE is, I'll refer to that. Those are both models built in NFL faster that calculate the expected rate at which a team would pass and the difference between that and their actual pass rate. And then CPOE is the expectation of a quarterback completing his passes and then that subtracted from his actual completion percentage. Also have a couple of stats that have been popularized by Ben Gretsch that's weighted targets per route run, which is targets per route run, but weights air yards and routes run a little bit differently with a scaler included. Also have high value touches, which is a running back specific metric. This is carries inside the 10 yard line and any reception. I'll also refer to green zone touches, which is any touch, whether it's carry or reception inside the opponent's 10 yard line. So I'm going to be going through the stats position by position today, hoping to compare against others in the position to help you make your start sit, your waiver, trade decisions if you've still got that open, and, and maybe put a little DFS spin on it as well. A reminder to subscribe to the YouTube channel and become a member for just $5 to get early access 
to this show, uh, get access to the Discord, a bunch of other benefits. And one final shout out to at Change College on Twitter, who has been doing an awesome job adding timestamps to the YouTube page for each of the positions and team conversations. So if you're listening to this or watching this after the fact, which I would encourage you to do because I'm going to throw a couple charts up here in a sec, uh, you can skip ahead to specific conversations. Uh, if you consider me talking to a screen, a conversation, uh, skip to whichever ones you want to in that. So without further ado, I'm going to throw up the first chart here, going to talk through the quarterback position on the x-axis of this chart, have adjusted yards per attempt, have touchdown rate on the y-axis, and then the size of a quarterback's bubble as his rushing yards per game. This first chart looking at the last five games for the quarterback position. And the first guy I'm going to talk through is someone that appears on the top right of this chart somewhat surprisingly, and that's Jimmy Garoppolo. He is actually the highest graded quarterback by PFF since week eight. He only has an 82 grade. So I think that's more of a factor of the QB play in the rest of the league and not necessarily that he's blowing things out of the water, but he has been pretty solid for the 49ers. So again, over his last five games is averaging about 236 passing yards per game, averaging two passing touchdowns per game has fewer than one interception per game <clears throat> and has a, has a pacer of 1.11. So getting a lot of, uh, a lot of help from his receivers, which is not un, uh, excuse me, unsurprising given the Kyle Shanahan scheme and how well he schemes open receivers and they convert their yards after the catch. But he also has a 7.2% touchdown rate, a 9.0 adjusted yards per attempt. All of those are at the top end of quarterback play over the last several weeks. He only had, he's only averaging about 16 and a half points per game from a fantasy perspective. So still not where you would, you know, expect to be starting him in any season long league, but has shown the ability to have some ceiling games for sure in the past, especially when, you know, he gets a couple touchdowns to, to Kittle and Ayuk and can convert on those the obvious thing with the 49ers too is that they run the ball a shit ton. They over the last five weeks have a negative 10% pass rate over expectation. So they're they're throwing, excuse me, they're running the ball on 10% more of plays than than you would expect to. And that's just the way that San Francisco is going to operate with Jimmy Garoppolo or with with Trey Lance. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to see Trey Lance, but the other thing I'll add is that Garoppolo has a 5.3% CPOE over the last five games, which is good for fifth over that span. So it's, it's good from a fantasy perspective because he's not absolutely killing 
the pass catchers with his terrible quarterback play that he he usually has and has been one of the more efficient quarterbacks for sure hasn't you know if you are starting him maybe in a two quarterback league hasn't been killing you by any means but hasn't been winning you any weeks either now another guy that's had a little bit less success recently which is again pretty shocking is Dak Prescott who if you'll remember in the game in week six against the New England Patriots he had a calf sprain and then they they went on their bye in week seven and then returned in week eight and he's played in six games since week eight and it has not been very good for for Prescott he's averaging about 40 attempts per game over that span. The the Cowboys have a 3% pass rate over expectation. So from a, from a fantasy perspective, you know, we've got Crosby in the room here as well. Uh, you can hear him shaking off. I'm sure he'll find his way into the, the back view of the camera here, but anyway, um, so Prescott, he's throwing a ton and that's great for volume for the pass catchers who I'm actually going to talk about later in the show, but he has not been his normal efficient self. He has a 3% touchdown rate over that span. A 6.1 adjusted yards per attempt attempt is average averaging just 1.3 passing touchdowns per game and is averaging one interception per game, which is not, not fantastic has a, negative 3.4 completion percentage over expectation. And if you look at the splits between the last six games for Prescott and the six games prior to that, it's just, it's night and day. His game has clearly dropped off quite a bit. And I was listening to a podcast, I don't remember which one, but they were talking about Prescott and how he doesn't want to essentially throw off of his off of his back leg, I don't remember his back leg, but um, he doesn't want to be on the run and passing. And that's why you saw in the game on Sunday on the pick six that he threw on, on the rollout, he, he rolled out and stopped and then tried to throw it to, I think Schultz. And then the guy picked it off and ran it all the way back when normally you'd see a, a quarterback continuing to run through that and throw the ball. So this isn't all doom and gloom for the pass catchers, but Prescott's only averaging 15 points per game for fantasy over his last six games again. And that's that's not going to cut it. I mean, teams, best ball teams that are going into the playoffs with Prescott uh, hope that he can return to, to health here. And I'm going to flip over to the next chart, which just shows performance from this past week. You can see Prescott down on the bottom left part of this chart, which is not where we want to see him. I've designed all these charts. So you want to see players in the top right of the charts. So one other thing to point out from the quarterback position, Kyler Murray is just playing out of his mind right now. I mean, he's, he's absolutely 
crushing it. Obviously lost the game last night and didn't have his best game, but still had a 3.4% completion percentage over expectation has a 7.2% CPOE on the season, which by far leads the league. And then you combine that with what he can do rushing the ball. And it's, it's just insane. He's for sure a quarterback one for fantasy and will continue to be. So uh, there's some, there were some reports right before I jumped on about DeAndre Hopkins health. And that's obviously a minor concern, but I don't think will truly hurt Murray's ceiling that much. All right. Going to move on to the running back, excuse me, position. And on this chart, we have rushing expected points on the X-axis, have receiving expected points on the Y-axis, and then a player's fantasy points over expectation per game, I'll refer to that as FPO, is the size of the bubble. And that's essentially showing which players are over or underproducing relative to expectation. And the first backfield that I'm going to talk about is the backfield up in Green Bay with A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. And we've had two games now. Aaron Jones missed one week and then came back. They, for the game against the Rams, they had the bye and then played against the Bears on Sunday night this week. And things have turned quite a bit in Dylan's favor. Over the last two games that they played, Dylan has a, a very nice 69% share of the backfield touches. He has seven green zone touches. Um, 11 high value touches is averaging 20 opportunities per game, 17 and a half carries per game, and is just blowing Jones out of the water in terms of usage. He's only averaging about a point and a half per game fantasy wise because Jones has found the end zone a couple of times, but it's really good to see Dylan maintain this level of usage with Jones back Um, again in the past two games, he's at four and three green zone touches had eight and three high value touches. Jones did have four high value touches in the game, excuse me, this past week. And I think where Jones still has a bit of an edge is with the pass catching. Dylan did not record a, target in the game this past week I don't believe so I mean they they've used Jones splitting him outside uh out wide excuse me but the usage overall is there Dylan had a 54% snap rate in week 14 which was his highest snap rate in a game with Aaron Jones so far this season his second highest of the season overall behind his 75% snap rate in week 11 when Jones was out. So, you know, I think this is a situation where Dylan is probably becoming the one a, and it could be a situation where the Packers are sort of saving Aaron Jones a little bit for the playoffs. I thought, you know, coming off of the week 12 game with Jones only getting 11 opportunities that it was, you know, sort of the fact that they were 
up ahead big and they could just use Dylan to salt the game away. And then he got more opportunities than Jones again in week 14. So it's certainly a trend right now and doesn't look like that's going to change. They do play the the Ravens this upcoming week with potentially without Lamar Jackson. So that could be a game in which they're in a positive game script as well. But Baltimore's rush defense hasn't been spectacular this year. So I think both of them are startable because Jones does and always will have that touchdown equity or the potential to have touchdown equity. But it's getting much, much closer to 50-50 than the sort of 65-35 split that we had in favor of Jones earlier in the season. So the next backfield I want to talk about is the Giants backfield. And it's it's not so much about the backfield, but it's about Saquon Barkley, who, if you read my, my teaser tweet, I do not think is a, a must-start running back anymore. He had a season-low 55% snap rate in week 14, and I'm sure some of that was due to them getting blown out. He's been back since week 11 uh, from returning from the injury and is averaging 17 and a quarter opportunities per game, has a 67% share of the backfield touches. That is a 17% target share. Is running a route on 58% of dropbacks. His receiving expected points per game is at nearly nine per game, which is fantastic for a running back, but he's just been so, so inefficient this entire year. He ranks 30th in rush yards over expectation at negative two, 0.2 rushing yards, I guess, over under expectation per rush. And so, yes, the volume is there. And yes, he's getting touches, but they're not really high value touches. I mean, this is, this was the first time uh, week 14 was the first time since returning from injury that he got a single green zone touch. His high value touch numbers are, are good since returning from injuries, averaging five per game there because he's get he's involved in the passing game, but hit a season low 58% routes run rate, uh, excuse me, 44% routes run rate, which was his lowest in a game that he played fully this entire season, hit a season low. That's a, what I was looking at season low, 58% share of the backfield touches in a game in which he played fully. The other guy that's obviously cutting into this work is Devonte Booker, who has gotten 10 and 13 opportunities in the last two games. He's gotten four high value touches in each of the last two games. And ran a route on the same number of dropbacks as Barkley did in this week 14 game. So again, this could all be a factor of them getting blown out by the chargers, them not wanting to risk Saquon Barkley later on in the game. But again, this he's been trending down in terms of usage from 
a share of backfield touches perspective, from a routes run perspective, from an opportunity perspective the last couple of weeks. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe we see a situation in which they shut Barkley down for the year. I I don't think that that's something that the Giants really would entertain at this point. And there is a little bit of cause for optimism. If you're looking for one, he's averaging negative two fantasy points over expectation and is averaging 15 expected points per game. So a sign that he clearly hasn't been efficient and hasn't been able to take advantage of his opportunities. But it's I, I wouldn't fault you if you're starting someone uh someone else ahead of him sort of in that in that range. All right. I'm going to flip the chart over then to the week 14 only stats for the running back position and cover the the Falcons running backs because I haven't really talked about them that much for a while. I mean, for pretty much all of season, Cordero Patterson's just been absolutely crushing it. The efficiency continues to be through the roof, just the opposite of, of Saquon Barkley. And the workload is there as well on top of that. And he's, let's see, over the last five weeks, he's averaging 16 opportunities per game, has a 47% share of the backfield touches, 12% target share. What is interesting is he only is running a route on 39% of dropbacks. So it seems like the Falcons are transitioning him more into the you know, like an actual, an actual running back and lining him up out of the backfield. He's been below 45% routes run over the last three weeks, missed the, the week 11 game, obviously, but only has two games this season. Patterson does with fewer than three high value touches, had two green zone touches this past week. And it's just like, you're going to continue to start him averaging 14.7 PPR points per game over the last five weeks, averaging nearly a touchdown per game. So just, uh, just a, a diamond in the rough from early in the year. But I want to talk about this backfield because Mike Davis saw 17 total opportunities, which was his most in the game since week five and had a 41% share of the backfield touches. Excuse me, that was his highest since week eight when he was at 50%. He still doesn't have a green zone touch since week five. Had five high-value touches in the game this past week and has run a route on 57% of dropbacks in back-to-back weeks. Now, this Falcons team is not that great overall. I mean, they're they're a team, they're a little bit lost. They're still in playoff contention, which is kind of crazy. And Davis is only is averaging fewer than 9 PPR points per game. But if you're strapped at running back, I think you could find worse options. Davis has found the end zone a couple of times in the last five weeks and 
is is getting used on a team that lacks playmakers right now. I mean, Russell Gage is leading the team in target share over the last several weeks. So that tells you enough about that. But <clears throat> excuse me, over the last five weeks, he also is averaging more receiving expected points per game than Patterson. He's at 5.9 and Patterson's at 5.8. So not a huge advantage, but the fact that he's getting that much passing work at all is, I think, a shock to me. He has at least, excuse me, three high-value touches in each of his last four games after a stretch of only one game with over two in the previous four. So Mike Davis, someone to obviously keep an eye on. The other part of this backfield is Quad, Quad, Quadri, Quadri, Quadri Allison. Um, he's seen three and five opportunities the last two games, but did see 12 in the week 11 game that Patterson did miss and got two high value touches in that game as well. So probably the next man up if, Patterson gets hurt, but Mike Davis, I think, would see the biggest spike. I mean, you could see him here on the chart, just a very large share of the receiving work in the game this past week. Speaking of running backs getting a lot of receiving work, surprisingly, is Devontae Freeman and... You know, you can say what you want about Freeman being dust and all that, but he is getting a a pretty solid workload over the last, since week nine. He doesn't have a single game with fewer than 14 opportunities. He's averaging nearly 20 opportunities per game since week 11, has a 74% share of the backfield touches, is averaging 7.7 receiving expected points per game, 9.7 rushing expected points per game, and is averaging over five high-value touches per game as well. I mean, these are all just outstanding numbers. And I mentioned earlier that they're playing the Packers this upcoming week. The Packers don't have a great rush defense either. And it could be a game, even if Lamar Jackson is healthy, that – They could be relying on their running backs a little bit more to take the load off of Jackson if they want to. Um, It did suck this past week to see Latavius Murray come in for the like one goal line rush from the one yard line and plunge it in for a touchdown. So that really sucked. But excuse me, he Freeman has run a route on over 60% of dropbacks in each of the last two weeks, which is just outstanding. He hadn't been above 50% since week nine and are the first two times he's been above 60 all year. Has been above a 60% snap rate in each of the last two weeks as well. And, you know, this is a, a, I don't want to say huge shift, but a bigger shift from what we saw earlier in the week, obviously, or excuse me, in the earlier in the season, obviously saw Le'Veon Bell getting involved, Tyson Williams, and Latavius Murray for a little bit looked like he was the primary backfield there. But Freeman has separated himself 
from the pack in the backfield is very clearly the Ravens running back one right now. I mean, Maturi, Murray, I was trying to say Latavius and Murray at the same time, but Murray, his one, he only had one opportunity this past week. That was the the one carry that I mentioned had four the week before and eight the week before that. So he, his usage is just declining week to week hasn't been above 30% of snaps in each of the last two weeks either. So Murray's still someone I think worth holding on to as a potential handcuff, but it's, it's not only great to see Freeman separating himself, but getting work in the passing game. And when the Ravens getting close and having some of that touchdown equity as well, a couple of final nuggets from for the running back position. Uh, this is from John Daigle and, and uh, Jared Samola covering the Panthers backfield. So Abdullah <clears throat> actually outsnapped Hubbard 59% to 39% had ran a, ran a route on 59% compared to 23% for Hubbard. Hubbard did have more opportunities. He had 10 carries, but didn't record a single target. And Abdullah got all four targets out of the backfield. Daigle also noted that Abdullah outsnapped Hubbard 11-2 on third and fourth down as the primary receiving back. The Panthers played the Bills, the Bucks, and the Saints next. So it could be an opportunity where Abdullah gets the majority of the opportunities just based on them being down and having to pass the ball. Um, Clyde Edwards-Alaire only got 13 of 29 running back touches in a game that the Chiefs led from the get-go. He had eight of his 14 carries in, excuse me, touches in the first half. On the flip side of that, Josh Jacobs only had nine carries, but no other Raiders running back got a touch until the final two drives of that game. And those notes coming from Ben Gretsch. Um, Gordon, Melvin Gordon returned to the 1A role yesterday. This from Adam Levitan. Uh, Gordon had 34 snaps, 24 carries, and eight routes. That's compared to 33 snaps for Williams, 15 carries, and 15 routes. They both found the end zone a couple of times, so they were both usable in that game against the Lions. And I think, again, this is just probably what's going to happen for the rest of the season is you're going to see a pretty even split between those two. Something to note, though, I think for this upcoming week, the Cardinals do face the Lions this week. Uh, James Conner, uh, something to monitor is that he, uh, left the game on the last snap. So, uh, he could be dealing with injury. Chase Edmonds could be back, but if they bar both active, I would not be hesitant to starting either of those Cardinals running backs. Okay. Moving on to the wide receiver position. Thank you all for continuing to tune in to this live episode of Stat Chasing. Be sure to hit the thumbs up, subscribe to 
the stat chasing YouTube. But the first wide receiver group that I'm going to talk about today is the Panthers wide receivers. I know a lot of people are interested in DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson and going to look at the last three games since Cam Newton took over as the starter in week 11. And it's actually, it's, I don't want to say it's an even split between Anderson and Moore, but it's certainly closer than it was earlier in the season. So in the last three games, TJ Moore is averaging nine targets per game. That's good for a 29% target share has is averaging 100 air yards per game, which is good for a 39% air yard share. And that's all equates to a 0.68 whopper, which is incredible. Uh, really good for a receiver. He's running a route on 95% of dropbacks, has a weighted targets per out run of 0.72. Very, very good numbers. You can see him up in the top right part of this chart here, has a 2.44 yards per route run and has an 11.1 average depth of target averaging about 15 PPR points per game. So DJ Moore still really solid, but what I think is more interesting is that Robbie Anderson has come on a little bit. They, he has, they both have a receiving touchdown in the last three games and Anderson's averaging 7.3 targets per game, about 76 air yards, per game and has a 30% and 24% air yard share and target share respectfully. He's also running a route on 95% of dropbacks over the last three games and has a 0.57 weighted targets per route run. He's only at 1.3 yards per route run, which is not great. Not necessarily what you want to see, but his ADOT has come down significantly to 10.4 yards in the games that Cam has started. A couple other things on Robbie Anderson's sort of emergence here. He had 12 targets, which in the, in the game in week 14, which was the first time that he out-targeted DJ Moore all season was the first time since week six that he's had double digit targets also had 149 air yards in this game, his first time over 100 air yards since week five. Again, the routes are absolutely fantastic. Had a 0.93 weighted target per route run in week 14. So that's just outstanding for Anderson. And also had 21 total fantasy points in the game in week 14. DJ Moore, again, he's been consistent and he's been good. He just hasn't been great like he was earlier in the season. Over the last three games, all three of his fantasy point totals fall between 14 and 16 PPR points. So again, solid, consistent, good, but certainly not great in what you would expect to see from him. Has been at a weighted targets per out run of 0.72 and above in each of the last two games, which is absolutely outstanding. Has 10 targets in each of the last two games, this coming after a stretch of three straight games with only seven targets. So the usage still there. 
I think it's just a matter of the efficiency and being able to hit those explosive plays. But I'm I'm not worried about more heading down this stretch run regardless. You know, we'll see. It sounds like Cam Newton is going to be the, the quarterback again. We'll see how long he's the quarterback in the game uh, before P.J. Walker takes over. But would be confident starting D.J. Moore, I think, regardless of who is under center. Okay, so now is my time to to stack my stat chasing here and talk about the Cowboys wide receivers and going to look at their stats <clears throat> since the week eight game, that first game back after, excuse me, Dax calf strain and things are, things have been good for CD lamb. Still he's averaging April eight targets per game as a 23% target share, 31% area share, running a route on only 71% of routes though, which is what we saw in that first game, but is averaging 14 and a half expected points per game has a 10.5 average depth of targets and is averaging 92 air yards per game. I'm not worried about Lamb. He's seeing plenty of usage, but Amari Cooper has been a little bit different. He's obviously been a little bit hurt over the past couple of weeks, but since week eight, he doesn't have more than seven targets in a single game. And let's see, he's averaging four and a half targets per game. That's a 9.4 average depth of target, but only a 12% target share and is running around on 74% of routes, has a very low 0.36 weighted targets per route run. So Cooper not looking the greatest as of late. And it looks like, you know, maybe could be due to his health, but Michael Gallup has certainly turned it on since returning from injury. He has, he's averaging 8.2 targets per game, leads the team with a 33% air yard share, second on the team with a 20% target share, is running a route on 90% of dropbacks, has a 0.54 weighted targets per outrun, which is solid and is averaging negative 2.2 fantasy points over expectation per game in those last five games. So certainly I think he's in line for just a massive, massive week. Hasn't had more than 15 and a half PPR points in a game since returning, but again, is running a route on almost every drop back in each of these games had 73 air yards this past week after three straight games over 100 air yards has had at least eight targets in each of his last four games and he's getting valuable work too because his his fantasy expected points have all been above 12.2 in each of the last four games The last thing I'll mention here, Cedric Wilson uh, continues to be sort of the fourth fiddle, if you will. He's actually averaging six targets per game in his last four games, which is more than Amari Cooper. 
but is running a route on 64% of dropbacks, has just a 16% air yard share. So someone to keep in mind, if one of the primary receivers gets hurt, then he certainly steps up immediately. All right. Let's see what we got here. We got the Steelers wide receiver group up here next, and I'm going to switch to the week 14 chart for you all to all take a look at. So where do we stand with the Steelers? I want to talk about them because I haven't really touched on them much since the one week right after Juju got hurt. But the story is kind of the same. Deontay Johnson continues to just absolutely dominate in this offense, has a 37% area share, a 30% target share. This is all over the last five weeks. Is averaging 12.2 targets per game. Has just one game, two games below 10 targets all season. Just one game below six targets all season. I mean, he's he's just an absolute, absolute machine in terms of usage. And... Let's see, he has a 0.84 racer, which is extremely good. 0.68 whopper, running around on 98% of dropbacks, averaging 20.9 receiving expected points per game. Just continues to, to crush it here. Chase Claypool obviously is next in line. He hasn't had quite as good of usage, has a 19% target share, which is still second on the team, averaging 7.3 targets per game, <clears throat> just under 100 air yards per game. But is clearly the deep threat in the offense has a 13.8 yard average depth of target after two straight games, over 120 air yards, has just 50 and 76 the past two weeks. And <clears throat> I don't know, it's kind of weird because he's been at 65% and 58% route, uh, excuse me, routes per dropback rate the last two weeks. So I don't really know what that's about. I mean, that's kind of weird, but <clears throat> he's still been at over 13 expected points in three of his last four games. So Claypool remains a flex option for sure. His per route numbers are quite good as well has a 0.22 targets per out run overall in his last four games running around on 79% of dropbacks but the other two guys <clears throat> the next guy excuse me for clearing my throat so much but the next two guys are Ray Ray McLeod and James Washington Ray Ray McLeod seems to have stepped into that juju role for sure. And he's averaging 6.5 targets per game. He missed week 12, but um, over his last four games, again, 6.5 targets per game has a 16% target share, which is just three percentage points behind. Claypool has a 0.9 racer. He's running a route on 65% of dropbacks, but has just a 6.2 average depth of target. He had eight targets in the game this past week against the Vikings, which was his second most of the season. His most came 
in week 10 with 12 when Claypool missed the game, but certainly his most usage in the game in which both Johnson and Claypool were involved. He ran a a route on a season high 91% of dropbacks this past week. So this could be just a one game anomaly in which McLeod got more usage maybe because of the the matchup or something the Steelers saw. But I'm not taking that as cost for concern with Claypool has, I, I still think has more explosivity in his game as well. Someone who used to have some explosivity, but really hasn't shown it <clears throat> the last couple of weeks is Mike Williams, who was set up to have a huge game this past week without Keenan Allen, but got just six targets in the game and turned that into 61 yards without a touchdown. He stepped out of bounds on one of his catches and he was streaking down the sideline and he stepped out like 20 yards before he, he got touched, which was really, really tough to see. Um, He had a 3.2 average depth of target in this game only had 19 air yards. So they, they certainly sort of put him into the, not, I don't want to call that the Keenan Allen role because Keenan Allen's average depth of target is a little bit further down the field than three yards, but much different than his 11.2 yard average depth of target that he had the three weeks prior. And his six targets, I mean, he hasn't had more than eight targets in a game since week five. I mean, he just can't, can't get you. He's not getting used for whatever reason, even though he's on the field, he's running a route on 90 plus percent of the team's dropbacks. And he does have at least 12 PPR points in three of his last four. So that's better than the, you know, five points per game. He was averaging from week six through 10, but he just does not have the explosion in him anymore. The other two guys to talk about though, are Jalen Guyton and Josh Palmer. I think huge credit and props to Pat Corain for calling Josh Palmer in his weekly walkthrough episode, episode uh, article as the better play. And Guyton ended up outscoring Palmer by just a tad because he had the long touchdown on a fantastic throw from Herbert, but Palmer ran a route on 94% of dropbacks compared to just 71% for Guyton. He out-targeted him seven to three. <clears throat> Palmer also had a touchdown, had a 9.6 average depth of target. So he almost filled into that Keenan Allen role, <coughs> excuse me, a little bit had a 29% area share in that game. So I think if Allen were to miss the game Thursday night, Palmer is still the better bet. Guyton on a week-to-week basis with Allen and Williams has more 
explosivity. I'm gonna, I don't know why I keep using that word, but it has more explosiveness. That's probably the correct word. Um, because he's gotten a couple of downfield shots. And in the three weeks prior to this past week, was running a route on 59% of dropbacks compared to just 37% for Palmer. Now, hopefully, we get Allen back. Hopefully, we get the Mike Williams back that we saw earlier in the season. But it just seems like there's some miscommunication going on with, with Williams and Herbert because, I mean, he's just not targeting him. It's almost like Williams is out there being used as a decoy almost. So some of the underlying metrics, you know, say that you should continue to start Mike Williams again. He's getting, he's on the field, which is extremely important. It's just his targets per route run is at 0.18 over the last several weeks, which is not, not great. You want to see that over 0.2 for most receivers. A couple other quick nuggets for the wide receiver position here. Um, Donovan Peoples-Jones had a 0.7 whopper this past week. That was a season high. The Browns are dealing with a COVID outbreak and could be without Jarvis Landry on Saturday. So someone to keep an eye on. Debo Samuel has seen just six targets over his last three games, but he's carried the ball 22 times. So is just, I guess, doing his best Cordero Patterson impersonation. And then Hunter Renfro had a 31% target share, ran around a 96% of dropbacks, which was his second straight game over 95% after not getting over 85% at all in the season. So he's just, he's really having a great season, an underrated player for sure. Okay, the tight end position, and then got a couple teams to talk about. Going to go through these fairly quickly here uh, to stay around an hour. But <clears throat> the one guy, a couple guys I want to talk about. First is Noah Fant. Had a really good start to this season, but he's sort of had some similar struggles with Jerry Judy coming back. He's still running around 71% of dropbacks, averaging four and a half targets per game over the last four games for him, which is good for a 15% target share. That's third and on the team behind Judy and Patrick, but has just four targets in each of his last three games and four of his last five games after being above that in six of his first eight games. So the usage, not quite there. It seems like this offense is trending towards being just sort of a, a run funnel, I guess, being going through, <clears throat> excuse me, their running backs. Doesn't have a game above a dozen PPR points since Judy returned or since week six when he was above Again, 12 PPR points in four of his first six games. So I think someone you're still probably continuing to trot out there. There aren't many better options at the tight end position, but is certainly closer to a tight end two at this point in the season. 
<coughs> excuse me, the other guy who had a hot start to the season who is sort of returning back to his old self is Mr. James O'Shaughnessy, O'Shea Hennessy. Um, he missed a good chunk of this season due to an injury, but has had at least five targets per game in the last three games that he's been back. Has a 16% target share, running a route on 74% of dropbacks. You know, is only scoring, let's see, uh, hasn't scored more than six PPR points per game in each of his last three games. So the ceiling is definitely not there. But the usage is there, I think, is worth a a dart throw in DFS tournaments for sure. He's usually around mid-price. And with the way this offense plays, probably won't carry that much ownership, but has been at a 0.2 targets per outrun rate in each of the last two weeks. And again, could just find the end zone one of these weeks. Um, Travis, a couple final notes here on the tight end position. George Kittle just continues to dominate. It's so good to see him back. Another top-tier tight end who hasn't had quite as much success is Travis Kelsey. He's now been held under 30 receiving yards in four of 13 games this season. Certainly not ideal. That from Adam Leventan. And then uh, a young tight end that a lot of people really like. Didn't have a great game fantasy-wise this past week. Had three targets on 40 attempts is Pat Fryermuth, but he ran a route on a season-high 80% of dropbacks. Okay. Going to get into a couple of team-level situations here to round out the show, the first of which being the Seattle Seahawks. Russell Wilson is now back. He's been back for five games. It feels like it's only been like two or three, but he's been back for five games and hasn't quite been his old self, but the Seahawks have a 2% pass rate over expectation since he's been back. Wilson is 10th in the NFL in CPOE at 0.3% is averaging 32 attempts per game has just over one passing touchdown per game, a four point, excuse me, a 4% touchdown rate, 6.7 adjusted yards per attempt, but is throwing the ball extremely deep, averaging 330 passing air yards per game, a 10.1 average depth of target. So that is really a boost to at least one of his receivers who I'll talk about here in a second. But before I do want to talk through, (coughs) excuse me, the running backs, Real quick, Rashad Penny had one of his best games for sure this past week. Was given 17 total opportunities, scored about 27 fantasy points, has had double-digit opportunities in each of his last two weeks, has had a green zone touch in each of his last two weeks, and has had two high-value touches in each of the last two weeks as well. If 
if he's healthy, he certainly looks like he'll be the lead back for the Seahawks for the rest of the season. I would expect their pass rate over expectation to dip a little bit given what the Seahawks have done in the past. But Alex Collins, I think also <clears throat> someone to to continue to hold on to. He had a big role uh, through that long stretch of the season when a bunch of their backs were injured, still had eight opportunities in the game against Houston as well. <clears throat> but the big story is with the wide receivers, their, their two main guys, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, and how they've performed since Russ returned from injury. And the usage is very similar, but the production is not. Lockett has a 22% target share to just a 23%, uh, just a, to a 23% target share for Metcalf. So Metcalf is leading the team in targets. They're both running a route on over 85% of the team's dropbacks. They both have an average depth of target over 14 and a half yards. But Lockett is getting a lot more of the air yards, or at least it, he did this past week. He had 234 air yards this past week, was able to turn that into a 25-point 25, uh, 25 fantasy performance and has been above a dozen PPR points in each of the last four weeks. Meanwhile, Metcalf hasn't been above a dozen PPR points since Russell returned from injury in week 10. So the other thing to note here, though, is that Metcalf was over, has been over 80 air yards in each of his last four games, excuse me, five games. It's been above 110 in three of his last five. Again, has eight targets in four of his last five games as well. So I think the big game is coming there for Metcalf just needs to find the end zone at some point and convert that those air yards into receiving yards has a very low 0.33 racer. Uh, Gerald Everett, someone to keep an eye on as well, running around on 72% of dropbacks, 5.8 targets per game, good for an 18% target share, which is second on the team as well. <clears throat> the last team and the last group of players I'm going to talk about are the New Orleans Saints because they are now led by Taysom Hill, who I think rightfully say is not a good quarterback, has a negative 16% completion percentage over expectation in the two games that he started, has a 3% touchdown rate, a 4.8 adjusted yards per attempt, just 17 completions per game, four interceptions to just two passing touchdowns. But really, none of that matters because he's averaging 11 carries per game over his last two. 87 rushing yards per game is finding the end zone on the ground as well. And he's been scoring an average of 23 and a half fantasy points per game. So, it doesn't matter if he sucks at quarterback. 
at least not for himself, because he can rush and make it make up uh, for it that way in a fantasy perspective. But the big story out of New Orleans is that Alvin Kamara returned from injury after missing four games due to injury and was just put right back into a massive workload, had 32 total opportunities, which was his most in a single game this season, ran a route on 67% of dropbacks, six high-value touches, three green zone touches, which is really great to see in a game that Taysom Hill started, had five targets in the game, and 120 rushing yards. Just an absolutely fantastic day for Kamara. Had 24.5 PPR points. Excuse me. The other guy to get involved was Tony Jones. He had seven opportunities. Ran around on 41% of dropbacks, but he is the de facto guy. He is so he will, he will play the Mark Ingram role if Mark Ingram remains out this upcoming week. But Alvin Kamara should go right back into your lineups. Obviously, hope that Taysom continues to give him some green zone touches when they get in close. I said that Taysom Hill being a bad quarterback was okay for him and didn't really hurt his fantasy value, but it hurts the fantasy value of his pass catchers outside of Alvin Kamara there. So in the two games with Taysom Hill, no player... Well, let's see. There's there's a lot because a lot of them haven't been totally healthy. Traquan Smith has just 10 targets. Um, Nick Vanette has 10 targets as well and is tied for the team lead with a 16% target share. Nick Vanette, probably the biggest winner over the last several weeks, ran a route on 78% of dropbacks, which was a season-high for him, again, he's had at least seven PPR points in each of the last three games, which, again, it's not fantastic, but can sort of do the job for a tight end. Um, but Traquan Smith and Marquez, Marquez Callaway are the two sort of steadiest options in this offense. Traquan Smith, like I said, had only three targets in the game this past week, but before that was averaging about seven targets per game. And Callaway has had exactly four targets in each of his last five games, but uh, lost my train of thought here, um, has a 10-yard average depth of targets, 22% air-yard share. So he's getting some, some downfield work. Deontay Harris... Excuse me, missed has missed one of the past two weeks. I uh, missed this past week, but he will also play a factor. Th- this offense is just very, it's both unconcentrated. The uh, Saints do not want to pass it with Taysom Hill. They have a negative 5% pass rate over expectation. So you'd be really hard pressed to start any of these guys 
in a season long format. And yeah, I'll just leave it at that because there's not a lot of fantasy value here in this Saints receiver group. But that is, that's going to do it for the show today. Again, please remember to subscribe to the YouTube, become a ship chasing member for just $5 a month. I would highly, highly recommend that. I know the end of the season is coming up here, but I'm sure there will be a lot of great conversations in the Discord this offseason with best ball, with drafting and all of that. Uh, be sure to turn into turn into tune into the show tomorrow evening at 9:15 p.m. Eastern. I will be back again next week at 3:15 p.m. Central. But until then, step back. <laughs>